0: welcome everyone and today on my podcast i have someone who's taken over 300 test wickets in both formats that's one day international and test cricket and i would say that he comes second after show Akhtar actor of the fastest bowler ever but he may disagree he may say to me that actually i'm quicker and a fitter athlete he's replaced he great cricket in sydney he's got an older brother who's equally talented you must know who this person is
1: here we go let me introduce you to him Monty, hello, mate. Nice to see you. So you going to inter- tell us who you are? Uh, my name is Britt Lee. I'm uh, 45 years of age and part-time cricketer. <laughs> no, you're not part-time at all.
0: And you must be absolutely enjoying your time here um, at uh, the Legends, you know, cricket
1: um, tournament where um, we've seen you actually bowl really well. Thanks, mate. Yeah, look, it's it's lovely to um, to get the opportunity to come out. Firstly, and get out of the commentary box, get out of the air conditioning and uh, get the ball in hand again and hopefully, you know, let a couple go. I've, um, I, was, I was super keen to play last night. So excited to get back out in the field and to play with guys like you and, you know, people that I've played against my whole career. And now to have the opportunity to be teammates, it's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Like we were all very much in, um, in awe, really, when you arrived. You were like,
0: wow, Bingo's here, one of the fastest bowlers ever and one of the nicest guys. Um, it's uh, it's something you know. As a fast bowler, um, we don't see many nice guys around.
1: Look, I've I've always tried to sort of, to me like create to be like acting. You know, when you walk on the field, you try to be this big, tough, fast bowler, and you know you cross that white line and it's game on type of thing. And you know you you sort of don't leave any um any holes you know untouched or unbarred, or you know you don't actually um, leave any prisoners as they as they say, but. I just went out there just to have some fun playing cricket and um, played really hard. I always wanted to play fair, but played really, really hard cricket. And then off the field, I wanted to make sure I had a lot of friends. And, you know, the thing is, you'd be pretty crazy to have the career that we've both had to see the places that we've seen, but to meet the people that we've had the the pleasure to meet and then not be able to call them friends. You know, it'd just be be stupid, I reckon. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I can go anywhere in the world now. And guys I've played against... um, they always you know there's always a spot there if i if want to stay of the night oh great so that means i'm allowed to if i'm in sydney
0: um give give i'll give a you a call right brilliant um so let's talk about ashes i'm sure you know people have talked so much you know with you since you've you know been extremely busy as a commentator um do you think like england were underprepared, or
1: did they have the team to actually compete against australia um, good question. I think it's a bit of both, mate. I think the fact that they, you know, they didn't have a lot of red ball cricket leading up to it, as probably the Australians didn't either. You know, Aussies obviously come up, come out of a, uh, a, a you know a wonderful T um, Twenty competition which they won. But the thing with England is that I do believe they had the right squad, or well, they had the the guys that were good enough in the squad that could go on to win the Ashes. Now you think about, you know three to four world-class players. Think of Joe Root, you think of um, Stuart Broad, you think of Jimmy Anderson, you think of Ben Stokes. There's four off the top of my head that are all world-class players. So yes, they can match up with the Australians, but unfortunately the selection was woeful, absolutely woeful, dreadful. I'm trying to think of a nice word I can say on your podcast that'll articulate the feelings that, I guess, a lot of the Australian public thought when, you know. The toss goes up to Gabba wicket. We know the Gabba wicket's going to do some stuff with the ball. It's going to talk. Uh, you got Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad in the change room. Over eleven hundred Test wickets between them, and they don't play. Now, if they're injured, fair enough, fair enough. You know, if they're injured. But from what I'm reading and what I'm told, that they wanted to play, and you know, the the choice to leave them out was diabolical. Um, then you leave out Mark Wood, who's bowling one hundred and fifty k rockets. In the pink ball test in Adelaide, with a lot of grass on the wicket too. I mean, that was just crazy. So, yeah, look, I, I think in I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to look back and go, we should have done that, so they should have done this. But I believe if they had the right team, and they put their best team on the field in the first test, it could have been a different result in the end, because you know that if uh, you know, you're on the back foot right from ball one, well, literally from ball one, where they the, we get Stark first ball, it's very hard to play catch-up cricket.
0: Yeah, and I think that's been the biggest issue. Like, in England, we've been saying that they're picking the wrong team for the wrong venues. Um, the Also, the other issue is that Chris Silverwood is the head coach and the head selector. Now, that, that sort of system doesn't work in Australia. You have a, a separate coach like Justin Langer, and then you have, um, you know, George Bailey, who's yeah. the head selector there. Um, do you think England have got their system wrong there?
1: Well, it appears that way, doesn't it? it? It's it's very hard to, I mean, put yourself in as a a young bowler or even you know, an, an experienced bowler where if you want to have a chat to the coach and go, coach, I'm not feeling great. You know, my body's not 100%, the wrist doesn't feel good, the board doesn't, you know, I want to work on this, this, this. A lot of bowlers, or even batsmen, Probably shy away from that because, hang on. If you're telling all your demons to the coach who's going to pick the team as well, well, he might leave you out next. If you're saying you're not 100% fit, he might leave you out next game. So a lot of guys then go more internal. They don't say much. They become, um, you know, not willing to share their emotions and feelings, which is very important because it's a long, it's a long tour, mate. The Ashes is a bloody long tour. So if you can't um, I guess express how you feel to the coach, well then who can you talk to? So I think they have to have that point of difference and I think it has to happen pretty quickly.
0: And why is it that England over the last few tours just haven't really competed against Australia? Is it is it to do with the system back home? We just don't produce enough fast bowlers, the wickets are so different to Australian pitches that when, we, when the, an England team come to Australia, it's actually they're just not prepared because county cricket doesn't allow them to prepare for an asher series
1: yeah look i think that the you know the the juke ball's different to the kookaburra ball that's probably the first thing the conditions are, are, i mean if you want conditions similar to back home from where you're from um tazzy was as close as you're going to get you know overcast conditions a bit of drizzle around the ball talks you know that's english conditions that you've grown up in that's that's the perfect and I, I would love to bowl there on a uh, day-to-day basis but I think if we want to improve world cricket we've got to have one ball throughout the world I don't care what ball it is as long as they pick one ball so you can't go from it's almost like a racing car driver being in the uh, in his favorite car and then he gets thrown on a different racetrack and said oh mate you got to drive an automatic now you are gonna drive a different car it's it's hard to change not making excuses for the England fast bowlers. Um, But the other thing too is that, you know, I reckon that England lost that fighting spirit. Right from the first test, there was no, I'm going to put it back on you. Now, the teams from England that have beat the Australian cricket team are the teams that have got match winners and people that stand up. You know, your Kevin Petersons and your Andrew Flintoffs and your your Michael Vaughns, those types of players... That are not bullies but they well they well they can be bullies on on the field which is important as well we don't like bullies off the field of course but on the field it's okay um guys that can stand up to the australian cricket team now i don't believe we saw nothing of that Josh butler wonderful fella lovely guy great hands behind the stumps but mate i didn't hear boo from him He did not say one word behind the stumps he's like a mute so as a bowler He's the guy I'm looking for to create that energy. He's the guy that gets the, the, the fielding team pumped up. Um, you know, you feed off that energy. If everyone's just standing still with their sitting on their hands and no one's willing to have a crack, then the Australian spirit will dominate pretty quickly. If you stand up to the Australians, then you're a chance of winning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember two thousand and six, you know, that's what, what what we were saying, that we've got to just we may not be good as them, but at least stand up to them, you know, fight against them. They they, 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 they respect you after that. Um, but also a little bit about Justin Langar. He, he's had a successful time over the last few months with the Australian team. But again, his job as a head coach is under question mark. Is it to do with his style of coaching? Is it to do with his man management skills? Why isn't he number one choice?
1: Um, look, it's... It's baffling because, you know, when you think about his, um, his achievements and what he's done, he's, he's achieved so much great things or so many great things for the Australian cricket team. They just won the T20 World Cup for the first time ever. I mean, if you said to a coach, you can win the T20 World Cup and you can win an Ashes Series 4-0, as a coach, you go, I'm feeling pretty good here. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually the man. I'm the right guy for the job. Yet there are still journalists and still people want to put his head on the chopping block. So I don't I don't get the fact that they are looking for other options. I I actually reckon it's it's almost a bit like um, everyone wants something to happen very quickly these days. Like the kids, they want you know, they they love the T twenty cricket because it's fast. You know, you them on their phone, they're swiping, they're looking for new content. You know, it's almost like a brand new phone. You want, your new, you know, a new phone every 12 months. So it's a bit like a coach. Even though the phone's fine, it still works. What's next? Oh, the next phone to be even better because to do this, this. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And the grass isn't always greener. So if you've got something that's very good and doing a great job, give him the courtesy to, to go on his own terms. Now, I'll say something also that might contradict what i said then. You know, there is a shelf life also. But I don't believe his shelf life has expired yet. I think the shelf life, you know, you can't be in the job for 15, 20 years because you know you do want something fresh and you want someone to come in that's got different ideas. But he's been there, you know, a while now without being too long, so he's part of the furniture. But he's not, he's not stale. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And um, it's up to the players, I guess. You know, whatever whoever they feel is comfortable. But his record is good. And he may even become, you know, the England coach in June. Who knows? You know, that's that's another talk. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he would like to see, you know, uh, get win the Ashes in England against Australia. You know. I'll
1: tell, tell you what he would do, mate. He, he would be a wonderful English coach because of that Australian mindset, that never-say-die attitude. And I reckon he would give a few rockets to a few guys that probably need it, as we did. You know, we, we cop rockets from um, from coaches when I was playing and I was obviously a teammate of Justin Langer and he's the the type of guy that he's hard-nosed, he's like, let's, let's get in and get this done type of thing and you need that. So, look, if Australia move on from Justin Langer, someone's going to pick him up and I, I reckon whoever it is, whether it's England or whoever it might be, will definitely benefit.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. You need them sort of coaches, which are really tough, you know, and, and, and honest, just give you honest feedback and then, you know, you can improve better. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a bit more about from, you know, the situation that happened in tennis with Novak Drakowicz. From an Australian point of view, you know, Melbourne was in lockdown for over 260 days. They must be saying, why are you lying, you know, someone like Drakowicz in the country when we were under lockdown? This is just not fair.
1: Yeah, look, it's I mean, everyone's got their opinion on it. And you know, you know you'll you'll have your opinion and you'll offend people. But um, I mean, the, the, the sort of headline was no, no vax Djokovic, you know, <laughs> he refused to get vaccinated. And people laugh about the media now, but it's a pretty serious thing. You know, you got to make sure that you look after your health. If, if his choice was to, or he couldn't get vaccinated uh for for whatever reason it was just have a valid reason and then you could prove that reason then you'd be able to to do what you do if you got a medical reason or an, or an exemption um but you know we need to get on with 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 the world you know we need to get through this pandemic it's been out there long enough everyone get vaccinated everyone just do the right thing um if you're not 100% into it look after your mate look after your girlfriend your boyfriend look after your parents look after you the elderly get in there and get it done it's proven that it works and um yeah i, I just want to i'm i'm the whole covid thing is is something that it's everyone's sick of talking about it and it's at that stage where we're like oh really again just get through it get it over and done with um you know i want to see crowds back at the stadium because it's how, how much fun is it whether it's tennis or whether it's cricket or baseball whatever it might be football um you know everyone loves playing in front of a crowd
0: yeah Absolutely, you know, we, we've seen that in the Premiership. Some of the weaker teams are beating the top four because there were no crowds there. Yeah. The crowds obviously, you know, make a huge, huge difference. Um, so, from an Australian point of view, you've obviously seen the last few months what happened at Yorkshire. Um, what are your views? Do you think um, Yorkshire has a problem with diversity? Do you think racism exists,
1: you know, in, in certain places in cricket? Look, I, I'm probably not in a position. Um, to comment what happened in Yorkshire, because I'm, I'm not in those shoes, I'm not in those um, environment, but what I can say is that there is absolutely no place in the world, not only in sport, for racism. Um, I guess it's how it's actually how you're brought up. I mean, I was brought up in a very, very loving family with a beautiful mum and dad. I speak to them every single day, I, I still do, two loving brothers, and my parents, right, I still remember it right from the young age, always like treat everyone the same treat everyone like you want to be treated whether you got blue skin black skin pink skin white skin it doesn't matter like everyone's the same everyone's everyone takes the same breath so you know for me growing up that was normal you know i had chinese mates i had indian friends i had pakistani friends at school greek friends they were friends there was no oh you're an indian friend or you're an australian friend no no it's a friend it's almost like um children that are involved in in different marriages um there's no stepson stepdaughter they're your daughter or, or your son that's why i look at it so i don't know whether i'm different or whether i was brought up the way i should have been brought up but that's my you know my view is that everyone's the same and everyone should be treated the same and i guess that's why i love all different cultures because when i go to india I get so much love and warmth out of India, and I bring that back home. and And we, as Australians, can learn so much off the Indian culture, and I believe they can learn so much off our culture too. So it's um, it's a matter of you know enjoying each other's culture and stuff. So, 100%, there's there's no place in the world for racism. Um, I've certainly instilled that into my children. That's that's you know, the most important thing, and that's the reason why I guess my you know my son has got a lot of multicultural friends. And so it should be, you know, everyone's the same. Don't treat anyone differently. Um, and if you do, well, then you need to have a real good look in the mirror because the problem's not with them. It's probably with you.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Really good, you know, wise words there. Um, let's talk about something a bit more fun, you know, lighthearted about there must be a fun story in a dressing room that happened, um, which we don't
1: know in the public domain but only on Monty Meats. Well, Monty Meats can get a scoop here, but it's, um, look, there, there's there's a lot of things that, um, you know, funny things that happen on tour, stuff that you can repeat, stuff you can't repeat. But I remember it was my first test match, Boxing Day Test, 1999, and I'm sitting next to Adam Gilchrist on my right, and he kept, like, he was eyeballing me, just looking at me the whole time, saying, so, mate, you know, when you get there today, just relax, it's nothing different than shield cricket. I'm like yeah yeah okay yep and and just bowl fast don't worry about the crowd I'm like yeah yeah okay okay and um you know if it, if times get tough come and come and see your teammate I'm like yeah yeah okay and I'm just and he's just looking me in the eye I I'm thinking it's, it's a pretty intense talk before my first game not knowing he's trying to get my attention because stupid Glenn McGrath was tying my shoelaces together. And as I've hopped up, I've tripped over, and I almost ended my test crew before it even started. I said, "Peggy, you bugger. But that was just like, you know, welcome to test cricket, like something stupid like that. So, um, yeah, there, there are moments when you're on the bus or when you're in the team environment that they're just wonderful moments. And they're, and you know, mate, it, it's, it's our time away from the public and time where we can relax. Um, I've heard some amazing sledges, you know, with... Uh, There was one that I I often tell if I'm doing a sporty. uh, I was playing a grade game and they were trying to pick what was their ugliest 11. And their ugliest 11 was um, trying to work out all of the players around the Australian cricket scene that were going to be in the ugly 11. So we get out there. My mate's at first slip. The batsman comes out after a wicket fell. And my mate goes to the batsman. Hey, mate, I've just... uh, We just worked out the last three hours, the Ugly Eleven, and looking at you now, I reckon you're captain of our Ugly Eleven. He said, yeah, okay, mate, well, I can see your missus sitting on the hill, mate, she's batting three. (laughs) (laughs) True story.
0: That is a great sledge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And she was sitting on the hill. (laughs) And did she come in at three No, she wasn't. Luckily. Oh, it's crazy.
0: Oh, boy, that's a lo- That's a, one of the, one of the best stories I've heard. That is amazing. So what, 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 do you think, you know, um, we can learn from the pandemic, you know, since what what's happened with this new virus? Um, Australia has very strict laws. Um, what, what, what do you think? What lessons can be learned?
1: I think we've learned a few things. I, I think it's a time to sit back and actually reflect on the good times. Um, you know we've obviously been through obviously been through you know enough bad times in our life and certainly over the last last couple of years what the pandemics brought you know the loss of life um devastated India of course, and I was over there when that happened um but it's it's probably you know we can do things differently now, we've proven that we don't have to work the way that we used to work, you know all that you know job justification where you go to, to an office for a meeting and you got to turn up and do this. You do it on Zoom now. You know, you get on the Google Meet or whatever they're called, and you you know, and you can do it from the. You do it from here. I mean, we're doing. Here we are. We're outside. I'm just gonna set the scene here. We we are in Oman, sitting outside by the pool, on your podcast. We could be anywhere in the world. You know, we don't have to be in a studio anymore. You know, and people are okay with a bit of background noise and a bit of music in the background because it's life. So. Those stale environments of crystal clear um, studio sort of features doing stuff like this, it doesn't, doesn't matter anymore because people understand that this is everyday life. And I think it's really going to help the, you know, the world moving forward because we can get a lot more work done with less, uh, less effort put in, which is uh, always the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, so we're saying that I could be Sydney in your apartment or in your house doing the work and it
1: could be other side of the world in the UK. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. And you know, I've done, I think I'm up to my ninth episode now of my podcast, The Brett Lee Podcast, if you wanna check it out. Um, self little plug there, of course. But I, I take my system like you on the road and interview players and, and, and guests and stuff. And you know, you don't have to be in a studio. And that's the greatest thing about what the pandemic has shown us. If there is a positive, it's about how we can adapt how, and how we can pivot
0: yeah no no i i agree with you and it's a lot more people are agile in their way you know to to you know be productive now and, and that's what we've seen um so i'm sure you know during your cricketing days you must have had some dramatic uh uh on-field finishes game,
1: do you recall that you thought oh, you know we're out of it when we're going to lose this one and suddenly you won yeah there was, there was a shield match we we're playing i think it was against south australia in adelaide and Let's say South Australia needed something like seventy runs to win. They were two down on an absolute belter day four. You know, no, we've pretty much got no chance of winning. Or oh, that's what, if you if you go by stats, the stats would say you might take a couple of wickets on the last day. Um, if you had a hundred and eighty to defend or two hundred, then there's a chance, but not not fifty runs or so. And Steve Waugh, I remember him saying, right. I'm going to go out there i'm going to walk through this door i'm going to win this match now anyone's welcome to stay in the room if they don't believe it but if you walk through this door with me you believe that we can do this and only come on the field if if we're going to win this match one well, with about 15 runs to spare and i just tell them up and that's the thing and that that just goes to show that that right mindset that right ability that self-belief and i I think that's where england going back to england again you know they need to get back to that self-belief and and that backing themselves you know having that never say die attitude so when you know batsmen are thinking about oh i might nick the ball well yeah you you might nick the ball but if you be positive the chances are that if you nick it's going to fly over slips or you might what about you might hit the guy down the ground for four what about that or what about oh what if he hits me for four when I'm bowling? Well, yeah, it might, but but what about if I bowl the perfect dowdy and nick him off, those cricket fans out there? So turn it around make it a positive. And it's amazing that when you have a positive frame of mind, you're actually a lot more successful because, you know, you're feeling good about yourself and, you know, you're backing yourself.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. That That is great, you know, great positive mindset and great advice. I'm sure there'll be England fans listening to this podcast that will can you know, tuning into your, um, you know, how should England turn around, you know, their, their test fortunes. Um, so what about, you know, in life in general, you know, what's one tip you, you can give to cricket fans and people who'll be listening in um,
1: about, you know, 2022 going forward? How should we attack this year? Well, I think um, the the easiest way that I can answer that question is that one thing I've done throughout my whole career, I guess my, you know, my life, because I've had, as you've had, we've all had ups and downs. We we have setbacks. Now, we don't have to be a professional athlete or a sportsman to get that. You have setbacks in everyday life. You know, as a as a businessman, as a boy or a girl at school. You know, everyone's got, everyone gets setbacks. So, I do this thing called the emotional wave. So when I've won the World Cup against India in to, in, in 2003, when that emotional wave is at the highest of its peak. You know, it feels like Everest. You have achieved climbing Mount Everest. You've won the World Cup. Here we are up on the stage in Johannesburg, holding up the World Cup. Um, a lot of people think you're on top of the world. You can do whatever you want. You own it. You're the man type of thing. That was never the way that I celebrated. Of course, I, you know, we we went out and we obviously um, enjoyed ourselves and, 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 and let our hair down and stuff. But there was never that thought about we're the best in the world um, or, you know, we're never going to get beaten ever again. At that stage, we were the best in the world and we have to embrace that, right? But you don't let your emotions get too far ahead of yourself. You know, you don't you don't think that you're better than someone else. You know, you don't think that internally, keep it all nice and tight and actually enjoy it and enjoy that, that ride. As when you get dropped from the test team or the one-day team, you're not the worst player in the world. You're not the scum of the earth. You're not, you know... Um, The day hasn't ended type of thing so if people have those highest of highs and lowest of lows that wave is a big contrast so what i try and do is compress what i call that emotional wave so enjoy when you've had those high moments don't get too down when you've had those bad moments or sad moments compress it reward yourself when you've done well when you haven't done so well it's not the end of the world but learn from what you've done wrong because it's important to make mistakes and errors because that's that's the way you learn, but it's how you come back from that. So I try to keep that compressed emotional wave and I found throughout my career when, and there's, I'll, I'll tell you quickly, there's a, a real quick story where I was going out or playing India in, in a one day match, back page I was that morning and I read it and it's like um, Lee's finished, he's too old, get him out of the team, it's time to look to the youth coming through, he's past his best, and they just absolutely hammered me. And I wasn't bowling well, to be fair, but it was, it was pretty cutthroat journalism. I went and hit six off the last ball. I Balaji it to win uh, at the SCG. I tried to hit it straight and I sma- slapped it over uh, cover for six. Came in, t- the whole team's gone crazy. We've won the game. Next morning, Lee the legend, same journalist. What a, what a player. This is our golden child. And I've got the two papers together, like, they're 24 hours apart. One, it's saying, excuse, excuse the term, I'm shit, I'm rubbish, I can't play. Next, I'm like the king of the castle. And I thought, that's how fickle life can be and how, how fickle sport can be. And I've got those two clippings at home just as, as a reminder that when you think you're lowest of lows, just go back to what can happen 24 hours later.
0: Absolutely, that's a great point. Absolutely. Great point. You know, one minute you're a hero, 24 hours, you could be zero. And then 24 hours again, you're a hero. So yeah, that's a brilliant, brilliant point there. So, um, what, what about the future? What does the future hold for you? Are there any ambitions, any plans, which you don't know about?
1: Mate, I, I, um, what I'm really enjoying is my commentary. Um, and when, when I say I'm enjoying my commentary, I'm enjoying the opportunity to commentate on the game, because I never thought I'd enjoy commentary, you know, that wasn't part of my makeup, you know, I, I sort of fell into it, uh, I did it whilst I was still playing, so that transition was a lot easier when I finished playing professional sport, to get into the other side of broadcasting and, and commentary, so I've certainly been enjoying that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a pretty under-the-radar type of guy, when it's away from the public eye, and You know, I'm as public as you want when it comes to sport and and commentary, but then, you know, I'm under the radar when it comes to my private life and personal life. So I've got, you know, an amazing family, three beautiful kids. I love getting on the farm. I've got no neighbours. I love getting on the tractor. I love building things, cutting things, doing things. Um, That to me is exciting. I love being in, you know, the outdoors. So I guess stage two of my life is there's going to be a lot more commentary. Um... I'm enjoying the whole real estate market at the moment, you know, flipping a few properties and those types of things, which I've done over the last couple of years myself. And my wife, because she, her background's interior design and decorating and that type of thing. So yeah, we're we're we've got some some projects lined up, but just keep having fun and trying to be the best parent, trying to be the best husband, um, trying to get my son out in the nets. He's now 15 and he's. Uh, Preston's a very, very, good player. So that's, you know, and watching him grow into a beautiful young adult's lovely and, and just seeing the kids grow up, it's, um, life's good, mate. Life's good. And that's, that's the thing at the end of the day when you're having a bad day and you just got to think, because everyone has bad days, you just think back to the good times and think back to how lucky we are and what we've got. Absolutely.
0: No, I fully agree with you there. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and giving your honest account on the Asher series, on you know, situation um, with Djokovic, with, you know, stuff that's happened at Yorkshire and, 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 and your future as well. So I wish you, you know, all the best uh, for 2022.
1: Good on you, mate. And um, looking forward to us playing as teammates again tonight. Maybe a uh, court Penisar bowley. See how we go. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd I love to do I'd love to take a catch off your bowling. Good on you, mate. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you.